0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Men at Acme. Today is a full solo episode, which I feel as if I haven't done in a long time, but it has been long requested and it's all about sobriety. So if you're like, fuck sobriety, I am chugging a beer right now then actually maybe you should listen to this episode. But if you're like, no, it's just not for me, then it's not for you. But it is for people who are sober. It's for people who are sober curious. It's for people who just kind of want to hear about what it's like to be a sober human being. So I'm going to get right into it. I have a list of all of your questions and I'm going to answer them as if I'm interviewing myself. Okay. How you knew it was time. Great question. So I, I guess like my, my story is that I never really, I never really had a problem with alcohol kind of right. Or like, at least I thought so because I didn't start drinking until much later on in life. I was kind of that person who hated the taste of alcohol. And then I got to college and, and, but I still drink whatever went through the motions. But even when I was in high school, I remember pouring out a beer and pouring water in it and then going back to the party and drinking it like I, nothing had happened because I didn't like the taste. And I got to college and they started to make us drink, you know, during pledging and things like that. So I got a little more tolerable of alcohol, but I still was like, this isn't for me. Meanwhile, my junior year in high school, I had... So I had like kind of smoked weed before that but I was never really inhaling like I was that girl who like they would pass the like pipe to and I would be like (laughs) you know like I wasn't inhaling I was just kind of like coughing it out and you know how when people like smoke a cigarette and they immediately puff it right out they're not inhaling and that's what it was like for me with weed for so long then junior year of high school I had a really fun night and you never forget The first time you got high, like you just don't, that's just a fact. Like you're thinking about it right now. I never forgot it. I was at my friend, my friend's house and we were playing credit card monopoly, which had just come out. It was like so cool. And we had a bunch of weed. My friend had rolled a joint and I took my first real hits. Like I inhaled, I was like, I'm going to keep this inside my lungs until I feel something. And I felt it. All right. Like I had every perfect textbook reaction. I was giggling, laughing all night with my friends. I was starving. I had the munchies. I wanted to eat everything in sight. I was so chilled out didn't have a care in the world. And ever since that night, I have been chasing that feeling, right? Just like that first night you got drunk and you had fun and like you chase that feeling. And so I was chasing that carefree, laughing, eating, fun with friends feeling for 13 years from that moment on. And then now I'm going to go back to what I was just telling you. Went to college, like had these drinking games, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't care about drinking. What I cared about was getting high. And I remember I got to college my freshman year. I found my people. I found the people in the dorms that would go to like the bushes and we'd all smoke like in a circle. I'm still friends with some of them to this day. And some of my favorite people in the world are stoners. like That's who I was. It's a huge part of my identity. And it still is. And that was just what I wanted, right? And so at first, it started innocent. It was like I was smoking with friends and I was smoking with other people who smoked. It was social. It wasn't like I was smoking alone or anything like that. And then as time went on, That's when it got a little darker. And that's when I wished that there was no one else around to hit the joint because I wanted it to last longer. I was anxiously awaiting for it to come to me in the circle. I was hoping that people wouldn't spend too much time on it because I needed it. And so on and so forth. Then my junior year of college, I remember... I had two really bad losses in my life. I lost my aunt very young and I lost my grandpa and it was like within weeks, but I didn't feel any of it. I really didn't. I mean, I felt it on a surface level. I didn't feel it deeply. I didn't have, I don't think I even cried really maybe once because I was so numbed up from having smoked for so fucking long, like for so long that nothing affected me anymore. And I had chosen my partners based on their smoking as well. I was dating an addict my sophomore year, and he's now sober too. Then after that, I remember people would tell me like, oh, it'll be fine once you graduate, like you're not going to want to smoke as much. And if drinking is your thing, then think drinking when i say smoke, you know? Like people were like you're not going to want to drink as much, right? Then i i just remember that people would tell me that i would get over it and i remember saying like, "What? No. I'm going to be that mom that smokes weed and is so cool." Cuz at the time i thought it was cool still. I thought i was like that stoner girl. I even created an a tiktok no not a tiktok sorry that didn't exist yeah i created tiktok i created a twitter account called stoner girl problems with my friends who also smoked with me and it blew up we got like thirty thousand followers i just thought that it was going to be my entire identity that everyone knew me as like that girl who ro- rolled good joints was a stoner girl and didn't give a fuck and Everything about me emulated that. My voice was like, hey, blah, blah, blah. Also, my voice, like some people call it vocal fry. Thanks. That's because of weed. So you can thank weed for that. I remember my voice continued to get deeper and deeper and deeper, which thank God, because I guess deep voices are good for podcasting. But I was like losing my voice all the time. I was coughing all the time. Then I graduated and naturally... I didn't stop smoking. I moved to my parent, moved in with my parents right after graduation, but I would never spend any time there because they wouldn't let me smoke. I would go to other friends' apartments. I, again, I'm choosing guys that I spend my life, my time with based on if they're okay with how much I smoke. And if they're not, then not for me, you know? Self-care is crucial. And another question that I always get about my sobriety is like, is sex different? Does it feel different? You know, having an orgasm, masturbating, whatever. I have to tell you, it feels better because you're so much more present and you're able to transport your mind to a world where you can really relax and treat yourself to your deepest desires, especially when you use Dipsy. And by the way, that is relaxation for a sober person. Masturbating. Like, Come on. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed for women by women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. So you can find stories about that intriguing coworker with an Australian accent or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor, your tennis instructor anything. And Dipsy's radically inclusive. They have stories for straight and queer listeners and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. You've never heard celebrities like this before. Listen to stories voiced by Sarunas J. Jackson and Luke Cook and more. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Plus they have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories that you can read too if you're into that kind of like 50 shades of gray but hotter for listeners of the show dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash acme that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to d-i-p-s-e-a stories.com slash acme that's dipsystories.com slash acme hi i'm iskra and i'm philip and And this this is is couplish. couplish where every friday we show up to check in as a couple Navigate uncomfortable conversations around race, relationships, parenting, and answer your burning questions. And we'll also share our pretty funny and very real dating stories with each other. Add some extra special guests. Let's hope they know what they're in for. With a few fun couple challenges and some tips and tricks that keep us so loved up on each other, our friends call us corny. Yeah, we're going to make crushing as a couple cool again and checking in as a couple a weekly thing. So see you every Friday. You won't want to miss it. wow, this is a long winded version of how I knew it was time, but I guess we'll fast forward right to when I'm 28 and I was dating someone who I realized just kind of like, let me do my thing. Like didn't try to control me. Didn't say like, stop smoking this, that. And it made me kind of have a mirror up to me to be like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I just like enjoy this relationship? Why do I have to sit here on the couch And be smoking all the time. Why do I have to smoke before bed? Why do I have to do this? And it occurred to me that I had had a rock bottom years earlier that I didn't even realize was a rock bottom when I went on a really special family trip to Africa. And it was once in a lifetime. Like, I will never be able to afford this trip again. I mean, unless somehow I hit the jackpot. But it was once in a lifetime, a family trip to Africa. And I went and obviously, you know, I didn't have my weed, even though I did travel with weed all the time. I always risked my life. I put my life in jeopardy to different countries, different places. I would meet people in parks. And that's the thing it's like you hear about sobriety. When you talk to other sober people, they're like, I, I would have died. I would have died. And then if you're like me, you're like, well, I wouldn't have died. It was weed or I wouldn't have died. Like I only just drank with friends. But it's like, yeah, you wouldn't have died yet. But, or maybe you wouldn't have died from weed. But, like, I remember there was a time in LA where I went 45 minutes, like, deep into a really, really sketchy neighborhood to meet some dealer. This was before it was like more legal. And I got in his car, like, I didn't know him at all. I could have been. God forbid, raped. I could have been shot. Like, there are so many times where I put my life at risk. I remember going to a random park in Berlin. I would Google things like where to get weed whenever I was traveling. Like, I would make my friends' lives hell because the second we would land wherever we went, I would need to get weed first and foremost as a priority because I was irritable from the plane because it was like five hours of not smoking, God forbid it was, it was rough. It was rough being around my active addiction. And, and it was hard. And I was like manic too, because of it. Cause when I didn't have weed at that point weed, wasn't making me laugh. Weed wasn't making me chill. Weed wasn't making me eat. Weed was getting me to a base level where I could consume food, where I could be chill, where I could sleep where I could, like it was just normalizing me. It wasn't making me laugh. Fuck no. It was just making me me or whoever I was at the time because if I didn't have it, I was so irritable. I remember there's like a line from some movie that's like, this weed is making you aggressive, bro. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what it was doing for me. I thought that it was making my anxiety better. Absolutely not. It was making it so much worse. So I knew that it was time And going back to the Africa trip, I didn't have weed and I was in such a dark place mentally. Like my mind was a scary place to be around, to to be in, right? And I remember thinking to myself, if I can't enjoy this trip because, you know, I don't have weed, I'm going to make it hell for the rest of my family. And that's exactly what I did. And I was awful on that trip. Awful, horrible, horrible person that I'm so ashamed of today. And I remember we got back and my parents were like, we're coming with you to your therapist and we're getting you on antidepressants or something because something's wrong with you. And we went to the therapist's office and I was never honest with my therapist about how much weed I smoked. So it just never came up or like it never came up because I didn't bring it up in an honest way. And she was like, we can go on antidepressants. I was like, are there any other options? Because truth be told, I just didn't want to have like another thing that I was knew I was going to be addicted to. Cause I knew I was addicted deep down and not that antidepressants are addictive. I just, that was my mentality at that time. Like, and she was like, Oh, you can like do CBT cognitive behavioral therapy. And like that works for depression for some people. And I was like, great, sign me up. Started doing CBT, but still I'm drinking all day. Sorry. I'm smoking all day, all night. When I did drink, um, I only, so I'm actually allergic to wine. Like, I literally have an anaphylaxis to sulfates and like grapes. And so I was not able to drink wine. And like, what other alcohol are you going to drink if not wine? Obviously, tequila. And I love tequila on the rocks. And so my drink of choice was like tequila on the rocks with a lime. And then I would cap it off with like a joint at the end of the night, which is a 100% recipe for a blackout. So I was blacking out like pretty much any night that I drink, I blacked out. And any night that I didn't drink, I was smoking before bed. So there was rarely a day or a night that that I was not out of it. I wasn't sober for like a moment. And if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't relate to that. So I'm fine. I'm not saying that you're not fine. You maybe you are, but it's not about how much you drink or smoke, right? It's about why and how you Act when you are drunk, how you act when you are high, right? Like what you do. So the reason you do it and how you act when you do it. And obviously how often is a part of it. Of course, that's a huge part of it. So how I knew it was time was I woke up one morning and I literally had this like window of, of willingness. Right. And I had messaged my friend who's also sober. And that's also amazing is having a sober friend. When you decide to get sober, it's like one of the best things that could ever happen. And she had taken me to like a group, if you catch my drift, but I didn't like it. I was like, I don't like that. It's, it's about alcohol. I want something about weed. Cause that's my main thing, you know, and that's when I'll relate to someone. So I asked her, I was like, are there these groups for weed, like for marijuana? and she was like actually i'm mean, i looked it up and there is there's one like 5 minutes it starts in 5 minutes it's in person this is pre covid she's like and it's 5 minutes from your apartment I swear to god it was like there was some higher power pushing me to do this i went to the meeting i heard things that i really resonated with and i was like this is it i'm done like i'm not touching weed." ever again. And I'm being completely sober because I cannot drink without smoking. I cannot do mushrooms without smoking. I cannot do Coke without smoking. Not that Coke was ever something I cared about because it just really wasn't my thing. But I was just like, that's it. I'm going to be sober. Like I clearly this resonates with me. What I've been doing is not manageable for my life. I'm attracting the wrong people into my life. I only want to hang out with friends who get high, who do this, who do that. It's not sustainable. And I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel good. And that was it. And like, obviously, it's not like that for everyone. Every story is different. But that's that's how it began for me. So now I'm going to answer more questions. I knew I took 16 minutes on that one. I talk a little bit about how my palate expanded when I quit smoking in this episode. And one of the things I was truly able to finally enjoy was salad. Truly, I had never eaten a salad before I got sober. I know it's the craziest thing that you've ever heard, but it's actually true. And one of the My favorite salads is from Saqqara. If you haven't heard of Saqqara, it's a wellness company that makes thoughtfully curated meals and supplements to be your source for a feel better holiday. You hear all this stuff, you know, during the holidays, during Thanksgiving, you just had Thanksgiving and you might be feeling just not yourself. But Saqqara has a collection of wellness tools that are designed with organic and functional ingredients to help you feel and look your best from your holiday parties to your new year wellness rituals. They have a plant-rich signature nutrition program that's expertly designed to nourish transformation from the inside out. And you never are hungry when you do Saqqara. It's not a diet. It's an amazingly healthy lifestyle. Plus, they even brought back their sweet, salty and dairy-free cheesy holiday popcorn trio, which is a delicious holiday party favorite that sells out every year for a reason right now sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash acme and enter code acme at checkout that's sakara s-a-k-a-r-a.com slash acme to get 20% off of your first order sakara.com slash acme somebody asked how did your body physically change without alcohol so when i first was sober like the first week of my sobriety it was so crazy i first of all i could not sleep at all that week because weed was helping me sleep weed was helping me eat i could not sleep at all i remember i listened to steve jobs audible book and i still couldn't fall asleep it was pretty fucking boring and i still couldn't fall asleep and then it was like a rush of all of the emotions that i had been suppressing for the past 13 years at once came to t- came to me, like I was hysterical, hysterical. I felt all the feelings that I had not felt in forever. I had a physical withdrawal symptom. I was sweating constantly, like sweating it out of my system, all the time, nonstop. I wasn't really eating a lot. I remember I lost a ton of weight because I needed weed. To eat, So when I was withdrawing from weed, I wasn't hungry. So I lost a ton of weight, but then my body started to regulate again and I could eat. My palate when I was like smoking was so juvenile. Like I, all I wanted was like chicken fingers and fries, which like I love. Don't get me wrong. Like that's still my go to. But I literally could not stomach anything else. When I stopped smoking, it's like my palate started opening up. It was the weirdest, craziest thing. Like I started to love tastes of different foods and things like that. My skin got better. My eyes, I have hooded eyes and like they're pretty small. I swear to you, it's like my eyes lifted up. They opened up a little bit more. My skin cleared up. I like had a glow. It's like a sober glow. It was crazy. It was crazy. And like I, my mental health became so great not just because and granted it's not it's not a complete fix right and but like the therapy i was doing the cbt it actually started to work and i started to be honest about my weed stuff and it started to work because i wasn't masking it i wasn't having therapy and going home and smoking or smoking and going to therapy whatever it was like i was actually doing the work and it was it was really it was wild like what it did for me and it also I felt like just the mere aspect sorry there's an ambulance of not having to think about weed when I was doing things when I was traveling when I was at a meeting when I was away for two hours like where am I going to get the next joint or when am I going to smoke again or can I bring weed here or should I have an edible like not having to think about that alone was so good for my mental health like insanely good. And then, sorry, I don't have these questions in order because I should, but I still like to blame things on the fact that I smoked weed for 13 years. Okay. Let's talk about early sobriety, like social events and things like that. Right. So the first few social events when newly sober, I remember how important it was that sober friends of mine would tell me like, nobody cares when you leave the party. To be honest, nobody even cares if you go to the party. But if you're going to go to the party, nobody cares when you leave. And nobody cares if you're drinking or not unless they have a problem with alcohol. And that's something that's really interesting to me because I didn't understand that for a long time until I noticed it. And no one ever had a problem with me not drinking unless it was someone who had a problem themselves with drinking. I remember one of the first birthdays we went to after being sober... My, one of my friend's boyfriends, who's her ex-boyfriend at the time, was like, "Shots, shots," and I was like, "Ah, uh, yeah," but like, I wasn't really ready to talk about my sobriety, so I was planning to get the shot from him and just pour it over my shoulder. And he like was watching me, and he was like, "Why did you just do that?" And I was like, "Oh, because I'm not drinking." And he was like, "What? Like, don't make me feel bad. Drink with me. Like, blah blah blah, you know." And it's like that's so dark. So like, no one really notices, like your you have to set your own boundaries at the first social events. Like I, I was very delusional about my sobriety. Like I thought that everybody was like watching and caring. Like I remember I would like tell the bartender, I'm like, I'm sober by the way. Like no one cares. Like it's, you're the only person that should hold yourself accountable. You can tell a few friends that you're comfortable with, but like just no one's thinking about it. If you have like a drink in your hand, obviously not alcohol, but like, you're, no one's going to ask questions. If you don't have a drink in your hand and you you want to own not drinking a thing, like not even soda or like a mocktail or water, then like it's probably going to come come up more. So you just have to figure out how to say that you're not. Like I was just like, yeah, I'm not drinking. Like it's not really working for me. Because when I did drink, like as I mentioned before, I would black out. So it just wasn't. And then someone asked seeing people for the first time after going sober and how to handle the OY I would just say it wasn't working for me. Like I'm much better without it. And most people are like, that's awesome. Like, I think you guys don't realize how lucky you are if you decide to get sober today. Even four years ago, it was not as trendy, quote unquote, as it is today. Like people were like, oh, is it January? Is it dry January? Like there was no opportunity to be sober because people were just like, what? Like... Now it's like, oh, I'm doing prolon or I'm doing a whole 30 or you have so many excuses. Not that you should lie, but like now's as good a time as ever. Somebody asked about sobriety when living alone without accountability. So when I first got sober, I had a roommate and she liked to smoke from time to time. She liked to drink and it was really hard for me. And there was nothing that she did wrong. She was just existing and living her life as she should, not an addict, but because I was, and I was getting sober, it was really hard for me to be around. But it was also really great to have a roommate because she would see if I drank or if I smoke, like she wasn't monitoring me. But if like a smell came from our apartment, she'd be like, what? And I'd be like, oh, a friend was, you know, like I would, I had to be accountable. Then when she moved out, And I lived alone. It was something that I knew that I had to be responsible for. So I made it a point to like not have any weed in the apartment. I remember when I first got sober, I gave all my weed to my neighbors. So that wasn't a problem. But like getting rid of like pieces, like bowls and joint papers and things like, like paraphernalia, got rid of it. I didn't have any tequila in the house on purpose. I think I had like a few bottles of wine in case someone came over and wanted wine. Like my grandpa would always come over and like need wine. But I just, I knew that it was about me being accountable. And I have to tell you, it was easy because my mind wasn't such a dark place. I had so much fun, like in my mind, like I being with myself was comfortable for the first time. Oh, and that's another thing I forgot to mention when I first got sober, Ways to like distract myself from smoking or thinking about it. I would go see movies alone, like all the time. And I would be like, oh, just two hours, can't do this. You know, I'm in this movie, whatever. I also love seeing movies alone. I would make tea every time I wanted to smoke. And then it made me realize like how much I was smoking because I was making tea like all day. And I would just like try to like go to bed earlier, wake up earlier and enjoy that morning sober, right? Like work out do things for myself. I think you have to be so easy on yourself in sobriety. Like I would get candy all the time and I'd be like this is my treat. And it was my treat and I deserved it. Like I wasn't drinking, I wasn't smoking. I wanted that fucking candy. I would I would I had like juicy fruit in my bag at all times. Just like continuously chewing juicy fruit gum. As I mentioned in this episode, I could not have done anything when it comes to sobriety without therapy. And I really didn't see it work until I made the changes that I had to make. But again, it's like they went hand in hand. I wouldn't know what changes I had to make without therapy. And that's why therapy has been a game changer for me. And that's why I love Talkspace. Talkspace is a mental health care that meets you wherever you are. It simplifies taking care of your therapy and psychiatric needs because it eliminates the need to com- commute to the appointments, miss your time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend your sessions. Plus, instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send text messages to your therapist to let them know that about the issues that you're facing in real time. So it's mental health care made easy. I can't tell you how many times... I have showed up to therapy in the past and forgotten everything I was going to say. But now with Talkspace, I can text my therapist all the time. And they have thousands of licensed therapists with years of experience in over 40 specialties, including depression, anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, and relationship issues. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off of your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure you use the code ACME to get $100 off of your first month and to show your support for the show. That is ACME at Talkspace.com. how to support a sober partner when you're not sober. I think the best way that you can support a partner that is sober or getting sober is really just not being like in their face when you are drinking or when you are smoking, whatever their thing is, which is the reason that they got sober. Make sure that unless you're like in a social situation, like you're on the same level as them. Like, you don't really like Steven will have like a glass of wine at dinner, but like he's never going to get fucked up at dinner with just me. Like there's just no point to that. And so it's a great way to like examine your own relationship with alcohol. When a partner sober, like you're like, Oh, we like, what can we do together? That's sober. Not like, how can I drink in a way that won't affect, you know? And if you're thinking about that too much, then like I would maybe think about, what it could be like for you to be sober too. But it shouldn't really affect you that much if your significant other is sober. And you can just support them by like advocating for them. If you're going to an event that's based off drinking, like maybe we shouldn't go to this. Or like if you get a bill and your significant other now has to pay like a bunch of money and he didn't drink, like, or she didn't drink, you know, being like, oh, can blah, 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 whatever, like that's how you can be supportive don't keep in the house things that like this person might be tempted by. Make sure that they feel comfortable when you're introducing them to family, friends, to talk about their sobriety, ask them how much they want you to share. if People ask, et cetera. Somebody asked, what is a good substitute for smoking weed? I don't really know the intention behind this question. Like if you mean like another drug or whatever, But if you mean like a a thing that's good for you, working out releases stress, running releases tons of stress. Meditation is a wonderful thing. Meditate every time you want to smoke weed. Have like a different non-alcoholic drink that relaxes you. For me, that's Diet Coke. I love Diet Coke. I really do. What is it like dating sober? Dating sober is all about how confident you can be in your sobriety and If you're confident about it and you're confident as who you are as a person, dating sober is a breeze. It really is. But if you're not, it can be tough. And that's why they say not to date in the first year of getting sober because you are vulnerable. And I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of women or men on dates and the dates like, oh, come on, just have a drink. And that's it. Like they relapse and they can't stick to it. And so it's really hard. You know, we want to impress people when we're dating And I wouldn't date until your sobriety is strong. Someone asked thoughts on general drinking culture slash. It feels like every adult gathering revolves around it. Yeah. I mean, this is so true and there's amazing books on it. I think one of them is not drinking tonight. There's another one that uh, let me think of the name. Oh, yeah. It's called Quit Like a Woman. And actually, we have an episode coming out with my friend Sarah Levy, who has a book coming out in January called Drinking Games. And that's about her sobriety. She is someone I met because we're both sober and she's wonderful. So there's tons of great books on it. But basically, I mean, it's just it's just how culture is. It's like that mommy drinking culture, too. Like, oh, they're in bed. I'm pouring myself a glass of wine we just perpetuate it. And I think a lot of it, a lot of people need it for liquid courage, but it's poison. And so I'm not saying like, you're the devil. If you drink like my parents drink, my sister drink, like everyone I love drinks. It's just like in moderation. And I, and I wish that adult gatherings weren't like this. And I think that they're, they're moving towards less of that. They're moving towards, more mocktails on menus, more non-alcoholic drinks in general on menus, which is really great. I just went to one white street a few weeks ago and they had a great non-alcoholic drink. I think it's just, it's, it's slowly changing, but it is a very, very real thing. Someone asked using a partner's prescription once in a while, definitely not healthy behavior if your partner is taking something from your prescription or vice versa definitely something to look into I remember my freshman year roommate who's also sober who got sober uh, long before me used to take my Adderall and just like steal it from my prescription and take it and you know she was using it basically as coke which that's another That's a whole other episode because Adderall is so bad for you and the way that it's normalized in our society and the way that people joke on podcasts about how they didn't take their Adderall today or what like how helpful Adderall is or oh I'm just gonna take Adderall and not eat like Adderall is just as serious as an addiction as weed as alcohol as cocaine Mm -hmm. as anything bad for you it's a horrible horrible thing that you can do and that's a whole other episode I, I, I can't even get into it but so many people use Adderall and are addicted to it. And then to come down, they need to take a Xanax or they need to take a hit of a joint, you know, and that's just a continuous problem over and over again. Someone asked if 90% of the time you do fine with alcohol, but 10% you have a sober, messy night. Should you quit? It's totally up to you. But again, as I said, like it's not about how many times it's not about how often It's about how you feel after. It's about how you act during. And it's about why. Like, why are you doing it, you know? Signs and symptoms of being an alcoholic when our culture is so okay with blacking out. The biggest sign here is wanting to cut down on something and being unsuccessful at those attempts. So, like, you always hear, like, oh, my God, I'm so hungover and not drinking ever again. I'm never drinking again and then you're drinking the next night, right? Like that can be a big sign. It really can. Spending a lot of your time around alcohol, wanting to go somewhere where you know there's going to be alcohol, having that craving. It's the thing that relaxes you, right? Getting sick over and over again, forgetting your night, cringing at things that you've said. Those can all be Symptoms, making decisions that you would not make if you if alcohol had not been involved. Maybe you've put someone in danger or yourself in danger or cheated on a partner, or things like that. Those are, those are all legit. Someone said how to deal with people who don't think you have a problem enough to be sober. I dealt with this a lot in early sobriety, telling friends, them being like, but if you need to be sober, I need to be sober and I don't need to be sober and you know what? Like there's always going to be people. still to this day. I'm sure there are people who don't think I need to be sober and that's okay. Like maybe, maybe if I were them, they wouldn't want to be sober. But for me, it's been the best thing for me. The best thing I could, best decision I could ever have made. And who the fuck cares what they think? They don't have to be you. They don't have to be sober. You no, fuck that. First date ideas if you don't really drink. Um, I love a magic show, comedy cellar, go to a nice dinner if you know them kind of. Get coffee, get ice cream. There's so many. Go on a walk in the park museum. Did I say that? I mean, there's so, there's so many options. How to tell a guy you go to meetings. So if you go to meetings for people who are sober, I remember I did not tell Steven at first because I was nervous that he would think that I was, you know, you read about alcoholics and you think of them like falling down and doing crazy things and this and that, like that was never me. And so I didn't want, oh, well, that's not true. I definitely had my fair share of throwing up in elevators, but. I didn't want him to think that it was worse than it was, Then it was so serious, you know? And like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't know if I would date someone who's sober. And it's like, it can be a lifelong commitment. Again, it's one day at a time, but it's scary. And so I didn't tell him right away. I told him I was sober. I told him I didn't drink. I told him whatever. But I think it wasn't until like our sixth date, maybe? Fifth date? Sixth? I know it was after we had sex. So maybe sixth or seventh date. Maybe after that. We had sex like three weeks in, I don't know, that I told him. And I was so nervous. We were at this like chicken omakase place. I know it's really, it's called Torian. It was really good, but definitely don't recommend having sex after 10 courses of chicken, including chicken neck. And I told him and I was so nervous about it. I was like, I just want you to know I go to this, these meetings and blah, blah, blah. And he was, he could not have been sweeter and more receptive to it. He was like, okay, like, yeah. I mean, like, he was like, I don't know anyone who, anyone else who does. So like, I have questions, like I want to know, but he was never like, what the fuck? Like, that's, you know not that he would react like that but i mean you heard him on this podcast he's a very reasonable person and hopefully the person that you are telling will be reasonable too and if they aren't then they're probably not the person for you how did you decide to be sober versus to be fully sober versus a drink here and there it's just not an option for me when i did drink i wanted to black out like i wanted to get fucked up i didn't want to go have one drink it's fucking boring to me it's still the thought of that is still boring to me Friends treating you differently because you're sober. I didn't really experience this at first, but I will say that there are some people who I'm friends with who still like to get pretty fucked up. And it's obvious when they don't want to hang out with me or Steven because we're not like partiers when it comes to drinking or smoking. And it's a very small amount. Like it's like literally only a few people come to mind, but they continue like it's people who choose like the other party and couple to go out with instead of us for that reason. And I get it. You know, like if they want to go out and have fun, they don't want to feel judged. They don't want to feel like they can't order all the drinks they want. It's fine. You know, but one on one with friendships, I haven't really had that problem. I've been lucky. How to quit alcohol without having a problem. You just don't like it. This is like harder, I think, than having a problem. It's like when you break up with someone who didn't do anything wrong, like, and they're like, why? And you're like, I don't, I just, you're just not for me right now. And I think you just have to hold yourself so accountable. Like there's no risk. So it's actually much, much harder, I think. And you're not like working a program to keep you sober. You don't have a sponsor, whatever. So I think you just really have to hold yourself accountable and like get rid of the, Drinks in your apartment. Make it clear to a friend if you're meeting up, hey, I'm not drinking tonight. Like, Make sure the boundaries are set and in place. How to deal with a partner who relapses and lies about usage. This is a partner who's in their active addiction. And so you can stay and support them, but it will be very sad until they decide on their own they want to get sober or you can leave because sometimes they need to hit a rock bottom and I'm not encouraging you to abandon someone in a vulnerable moment. Definitely not. But I'm just saying it's really hard. And you know, if I were in that position, I would try to set them up with people who they're able to, go to and to be support people who can support them. If I can't anymore, if I can't take it anymore and I need to move on, I'd hope that they're still supported. But I don't know if I could be that person supporting them if they were not ready to face their problem and to get help. And maybe you issue an ultimatum, but that won't get them to get sober. It has to come from them. Best mocktails. I love myself a Diet Coke. It's nothing better. Um, I don't really care for mocktails. Otherwise, I guess like a ginger beer is nice. I like that. If you drink again, would you see it as a, if you did drink again? Would you see it as a relapse? Yeah, I probably would. Even though that wasn't my main thing, I definitely would consider it to be a relapse. Do you ever feel resentful when people are drinking or smoking in front of you? Mm, drinking? No. Smoking? A little bit triggers in the beginning of sobriety. I think, yeah, just people smoking in front of me, like walking by weed on the street. It's everywhere now. So that was hard. Your wedding sober and weddings in general sober. My wedding sober was the best decision I ever made. I look back and I'm like, if I wasn't sober at my wedding, I don't know who I would be. I couldn't have been calmer and just at peace and happy at my wedding. I was able to like deliver my vows. I was able to be emotional and like walk down the aisle crying like hi lindsay would never shed a tear like not even i didn't i wouldn't have felt it and i was able to appreciate every minute of it it was the best thing i could ever it was really amazing like it really was And weddings in general, sober. I love going to weddings sober because the music is amazing. You can dance. You don't need alcohol to dance at a wedding. It's so fun because the vibes are always on point. And I love to be of service to the bride and groom. Like, you can ask any of my friends what I'm like at their wedding. I am bringing them water nonstop. Even people I'm not that close with at their wedding, like, bringing them water and just trying to see if they need anything, being of service to them. That's a huge part of sobriety for me. It's like being of service to people because I'm able to, because I have the clarity of mind to be there for people in, especially going out and things like that. Okay. I'm going to wrap it up soon. Would you ever encourage a close friend or partner to consider sobriety? So back to this, it has to come from them. They have to want it. So like would I tell them about how great it is for me. Yes. Like I do with therapy, 100%. Right. But it has to come from them wanting it. You cannot make someone be sober. I sometimes feel like not ordering a drink sets a less fun tone or mood. How do I deal? Can you order a non-alcoholic drink in a more fun way? Like I, this question really breaks my heart because it's like, that's the biggest, like, that's why we're all here. Right. Because it's less fun it's considered not relaxing to not drink like that's why we so we struggle like that's why people feel the need to drink because of that narrative like i if i'm this person like i'm like i'm going to have a diet coke with a lemon and that's going to be my fun diet coke for the night you know like say it in a fun way and it'll be fun the best part of it and the hardest part of it it's a perfect way to end the hardest part of being sober is what I just kind of mentioned, which is this thought that you can't relax without being drunk or being high. And sometimes I believe that sometimes I'm like, I'm so fucking boring. And I remember I went through something this summer that was really hard for me. And I did want to drink because I was like, I just want to escape. And That is the biggest thing is that you can never escape when you're sober. You are always so present and you got to feel it. You just have to feel all the feelings all the time. And that can be so hard, but it's so rewarding because you feel it and then you move on. And if you drink or smoke it away, it comes back and it comes back and comes back until you really feel it again. And the best part of it is it's kind of cheesy, but finding someone amazing like Steven, who I really don't believe that I would have attracted had I not gotten sober and done the work on myself. And the times that I have with Steven sober are better than I've ever had with any man, drunk or high or anything. And knowing that our relationship has nothing to do with getting fucked up and has everything to do with the quality of our connection. And also the people that I've met, the people that have helped. It's the best part of it as well. So I hope this is helpful. And thanks for letting me tell my story.